Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, just for a change, by Vanishing Inc. Today I'm lucky enough to have on the line Mr. Scott Robinson. Scott, how are you this morning? I am excellent, Damien. How are you? I am peachy, thank you very much. But peachy. we haven't got, peachy. We haven't got time for pleasantries, Scott. It's a 30-minute show. What's your origin story? You have got 23 seconds. I was very lucky to be raised by uh, a grandmother who loved the idea behind reading. So at the age of five, she started taking me to a library. And one time we picked out a magic book. And she sat down and read it to me and helped me with the tricks and helped me build the little props. I still remember the name of the book. It was called So You Want to Be a Magician. Uh, and that was the start. Bug was bug bit. <laughs> Perfect. Whilst I was researching for this, I saw a post on that green place which said that you're one of magic's best kept secrets. Now, this could be because you've spent most of your life working at Microsoft and one of one of the very first employees. What were those early days like building Microsoft? So I started in 1991. Uh, I was one of the first employees at our Charlotte location, our Charlotte, North Carolina location. And it was like working for a startup. It was crazy. We had We would have classes on the rules of rubber band fights. <laughs> right. It's totally different than it is now. Uh, we were, you know, it was um, people had kegs in their cubes and uh, we would have parties at the end of every day. Uh, but we did great work. Right. And it was uh, it was fun. It was uh, I was never in a fraternity, but I imagine it was like a fraternity. How exciting. You've got a very soft touch with your magic. Why do you think that's important? So I did not choose to have the touch I have. Oh, okay. Um, it's not deliberate. No, it's not. I think as you grow in, as you grow from being a beginner, you see people that appeal to you and styles of magic that appeal to you, and you do emulate a lot. Sure. during that time. And the people you emulate influence both your style. And I also think the way you handle the props. And as, a, as being young, I remember that, that burning quote about a card is a delicate thing. You know, you don't have to manhandle it. And that stuck with me because that's someone I looked up to. And I think that has more to do with it. Now, I will say there are those that no matter what, they are not wired to have a soft touch. Right. I think you have to have the right hands. You have to have the right demeanor. Your body language and style has to fit that. Um, I, I have I have friends who are very heavy handed and we spend time trying to figure out how to take sleight of hand that requires a soft touch to fit within their hands or decide it doesn't fit at all. And we have to do something different. Right. So, right. Yeah. So I don't it was not a conscious effort. Okay. It was a. You know, my beginning in magic performing, like everyone, I did birthday parties, et cetera. But most of my performing was in theme parks, you know, doing six shows a day, six days a week. Right. I did that for five years when I was uh, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, that type of thing. You still have the energy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there you get to try out a lot of things and you get to see what works and what doesn't. I, and though I don't perform uh, much anymore, I... You, you learn a lot during that. I think that's where I develop my style is being being in front of people. And I've cared. I've always been a mystery person. Right. right. I'm not a I know Andy 
uh, talks about my magic being visual. I don't even think about that, right? I don't, I don't think I'm going to develop something visual. I think I want something that they're that people have a really that they can't imagine how it can happen, right? I'm I'm a mystery person. I don't want I don't want the two perfect theory to slip in and then go. Well, he could have done this. He could have done this. I want there to be total mystery. Like I don't do and will never do a version of three fly. Because, because, how do I say this? Since this is going to be on a podcast, uh, <laughs> I think coins across where the hands are closed, there's a mystery, and people wonder what's going on inside those hands, which I think is lovely. I, I just think it's great, as opposed to it's almost porn, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. With three fly, you see everything. You know, there's no imagination. Uh, it's great in some people's hands and it's great in pe- certain people's style. Uh, it's not for me, you know? So when I pick magic and when I develop routines or, or build things, um, I like the, I like mystery a lot. Sure. Talking of coin magic, when you do coin magic, coins seem to just appear without you doing anything. Why did you choose that kind of approach? It's just it just seems like magic. <laughs> because kind of going back to the mystery thing. Right. If there appears to be a method. Right. Whether it's sleight of hand or whatever. And I love watching people that are highly skilled and show it off. I, I, I love it. It's just not for me. For me, it needs to look like I do nothing, though it's obvious I'm in charge. Right. Uh, so that's why I have I've, like you're probably talking about a routine called differences. That would be my guess uh, where the coins appear in uh, kind of a triangle formation on the mat. I've been doing it. It's literally 30 years old. Uh I spent a lot of time examining body motion, my body language, and how my hands should come together at certain times to correctly reveal when the coins appear, right? Uh, because I did not want think people to think, oh, he just dropped the coins on the pad, right? Which is the method. It absolutely is the method, right? But by, by building a little bit of dis- misdirection and more importantly, making it fit the way my body uh, naturally responds. And uh, I know the people listening can't see us, but we can see each other. You probably notice I have a certain body language. My sure. hands move a certain way. They move in unison. They move, you know, different things. I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how I move, right? And, you know, when I watch great performers, and, and there's a number out there that are going to say, yeah, I remember Scott telling me that. I will say, you do that move or that thing better than anyone else because you figured out how it fits your body language and how your body moves. I think a lot of people that do that do it naturally, right? I don't know if it's something that's taught. They don't even know they do it. But I was going to say, how can somebody try and start to do that? But you, you do have to understand yourself. Right. You know, I do think you really need to understand yourself. I, uh, are you okay if we talk about Slight Club a little bit right now? Uh, because this is part of it. You know, um, I have this philosophy of what Slight Club is, first of all, please. So Slight Club is a group of magicians, me and uh, three other people. I'll give you their names. Chris Cook, who is a magic fan, not a magician, magic fan. And I'll talk about why I think that's important in a second. Andy Brockhurst, who lives there in the UK now, and Luke Dancy, the four of us went to our local groups and said, you know, we're not sure if the local group is giving us what we need. 
You know, um, the social as- aspects are great, but I think we need something else. So we decided to put together a group that met every week, would hold each other accountable, right? So if you got feedback, it, you're accountable for filtering it out, make sure it does make sense for you, mm-hmm. and working on it and bringing it back the next week so that we can, yeah, let's keep making this better. So it's really about making everyone incrementally move the needle just a little bit to make magic a little better at an individual level that started 19 years ago. We're now moving into our 20th year. We meet every Tuesday. Uh, We now have about 20 people, about 10 to 12 show up every week. Um, So it's a little more structured than it used to be, but its goal is to help people be, be better, right? Whatever that means. It means different things to different people. Some people love to create tricks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people love our performers and they want to find things that fit them and uh, make it make it work for them. So it, it looks different for every person. Uh, so that's what Slight Club is. And it came about because I came to a conclusion years ago. Um, so I, I've been at Microsoft a long time. And I interview lots of people. And I started asking this question, typical interview question. What's your favorite? What's your strength? Right. And people would start telling me all the things they do good. You've been there. Right. Everybody does that. Then I realized I wasn't really asking them about their strength. What I really wanted to know is what got them up in the morning. Right. What really motivated them, even if they sucked at it. Right. But they love to do it. They they're terrible at it or they're average at it or whatever. And that philosophy of figuring out what people's strengths are. That's what we do at Slight Club. We go in and and tap into passion because that's what we're talking about. Tap into passion and use that to help elevate their magic. And we have people in the group. I don't. Everyone's not a Scott clone, right? I'm a method guy. I have. I'll tell you, Damon. When I hear people say uh, there's enough tricks, I'm like, no, no, there's not. I, I love tricks, right? Because the tricks are about the journey, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes, we have now ever how many versions of XYZ trick, but that journey that person went on to get to that conclusion is what's important. What's interesting to me. That's right. why I love. I, yes, there are million, a lot of magic tricks, a lot of card tricks. Right. But I'm not going to stop trying to create to solve that one little problem because I figured out my strength. Is helping other people grow. It's all right. I care about. Right. If I didn't do magic and as much as I love it, if I in my day to day, every day I was able to help someone get a little bit better at what their strength was, what their passion was, I would be a pretty darn happy person. I'm a technical person, but uh, now I manage a team of really smart people in Europe and the and uh, the Americas. And my job is to help them be a little better every day. And so that's that's it. I know that was a little went down that philosophy side, but uh, that's why Slight Club for me exists and why I've kept it going. So the only person of the original still there is Chris Cook, who is a magic fan. And if you're going to look at putting one of these groups together, you have to think I'm building a team. Everyone Uh, can't have the same skill set. Right. You don't want everyone that's a pro because what do they bring with them? They bring with them the idea that this needs to 
solve a certain problem, which usually is related to the audience or the client, right? Those are good problems and things to talk about. But an amateur who is highly skilled has a different set of things they want to get out of it. A magic fan who reads about magic, doesn't really, does three or four tricks a year, maybe, right? Uh, They bring a different perspective, right? They can say, this is what... What if you did this, even right. though they may not even know it's impossible, right? Sure. That, that it doesn't fit. Not hampered um, by yeah. method. Right. And they always start with the phrase. I love Chris because he starts with this phrase. Wouldn't it be cool if? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's always that. So it, it gives you the ability to think a little different. So um, I kind of went off. I, I hope that was OK. I, these are things that are important to me. Uh, I, I think as humans. Our, the only thing we really can give to each other is help in being a little better as a human. So magic is just one of the conduits for me. And sure. uh, so that's it. Sure. Everybody's talking about the Willy Wonka trick. Can you explain the plot for anybody that hasn't seen it? And how did you come up with it? So there's two versions of the Willy Wonka trick. One is just called the Willy Wonka card trick. The other one is cleverly titled Willy in Your Pocket. And uh, it came about because I was experimenting with a, a vanish of King Krenzel's. And um, I, I'm a big fan of his because from a technical standpoint, everything is structured really well. But this was a very, it used a little gimmick card and uh, you have two cards, let's say the two kings uh, held uh, in your hand and you push the selection between those cards perpendicular. So it should stick out when it comes out the other side. It does not, right? Um, Ken came up with this. He put a little, it doesn't matter what the method is, but he had a little method. At the end of it, he said, you know, you can do this without a gimmick card by just doing, you know, just holding it there, right? And I said, that's the only way I would do it, right? That's cool. So I started playing with the finesse of that in his routine. Let, let, Let me back up. I would say his routine was okay, but the van, it, the 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 card reappearing was not as strong as the vanish. It did not support the strength of the vanish. So sure. I started going about trying to to solve that, right? Um, and then I came up with some finesses on the handling of the vanish without using the the gimmick. So that's how it started. Um, the original Willy Wonka card trick is actually not the one I do all the time because it doesn't feel. It's a card vanishes is shown to be gone cleanly and then uh, reappears back between the cards in a, in a visual manner. It wasn't, it would never fit within the way I perform for people when I perform for people, because I do a trick called the queen thing that I always do before I do this, which is a, a, a card vanishes. It's a handling of John Hammond's uh, signed card. But right. with, with, with some things, right? <clears throat> Willy Wonka in your pocket fits after that. And uh, what it is, the same vanish, the difference is the cards are dropped cleanly to the table. So the hands are cl- are empty. You then reach into your pocket, your right, we'll say your right pocket, and produce that card that could be signed. You put it back with the kings. The kings instantly vanish. And with no palming, one king is in the right-hand pocket and one king is in the left-hand pocket. So it's 
I love that progression, right? I like to show people how a routine starts at a very basic, starts with what Krenzel came up with, moved to something that solved what I thought was a problem, whether it was a problem or not for debate, right? But I solved this thing for me. And then it moved into more of a full-fledged routine that fits my style and, and, and integrated in with some other, other tricks I did. Is that what your creative process generally looks like as a starting point and then this uh, development mm. or is, is there a, is that is there a way that you create my starting point usually is tinkering right okay. uh, so when I read a book first I read a book cover to cover first always always without cards in my hand but here's what I do you would pro- if you're a collector of books you will be offended by this <laughs> I have a method with my books to mark ideas I like, so routines I like, and just little ideas on a page I like. And the way I do that is I use the bottom corner and I fold it. So if it folded a certain amount, I crease it. Uh, It doesn't matter what the book is. It can be expensive or not. I don't care. If it's a routine, I fold it on the first page. Okay. If it's an idea, I take that corner and I point it to the paragraph with the idea, right? Right. Okay, so now I can easily go back to it and look at a book just by the corners, how dog-eared it is. I know if there's some possible inspiration for me there. Okay. If, Like I love the Stuart James books. Inspiration, inspiration, right? Uh, awesome. Uh, if you looked at those, lots of corners bent and, and et cetera. So that's the way I start. I usually, I get inspired by other people. I probably only have two. I would say one thing where it truly just popped into my head. And it's a trick called a to- called the toy okay. where you make a spaceship out of two folded playing cards. The spaceship gets broke. So in card magic terms, one card rips through the other. Right. And then you repair the spaceship. Right. Okay. That uses no methods that's ever, you know, that was one of those. It, just hit me, right? It was awesome. But most of the time, I think we design routines. It's the craft of designing magic. Uh, so that uh, when when I sat down, I believe in having a big toolkit, right? As much knowledge as possible. Uh, the older I get, my toolkit's bigger. I go back to routines I've done previously, and now I have a different way of viewing it Uh, and things do live with me for 10 years or more Uh, the trick differences the coin trick differences that i I know uh, i gave permission to like eric jones put on one of his dvds it's been on a a bunch of different coin dvds from different people it used to require really difficult sleight of hand really difficult over the years i took a really difficult jeffrey lotta one hand coin switch Right. Which only a handful of people could do. And as I get older, it was harder for me to do. I replaced it with a subtlety. Right. That puts it within the realm of everyone. Ah. But that took 20 years to do. Right. So the scripting you use in your work appears to be very refined and polished. Why do you think scripting is important with magic? I, I think it's important to establish premise. I'm a premise guy. Right. So, Damien, if you look at my scripts, they establish what it is about, but then I kind of shut up and let the magic speak for itself, make sure it illustrates it. I'm a believer. So I'm a believer in the Eugene Berger school of starting 
a magic tale, which is start with a question, mm-hmm. right? Establish the premise in the beginning, the first 30 seconds to one minute and a half, right? Then do the magic and then have a something at the end that caps it off and pulls everything together, uh-huh. right? Right. So uh, if I think about, so Eugene used to have a thing where he would say, would you like to see the greatest card trick of the 20th century? Think about how perfect that is, right? Because it incre- it causes intrigue very quickly. And then he doesn't come back and keep saying, this is the greatest card trick of the 20th century. This is a great, he does a great trick. And then he caps it off at the end. I try to do the same. I think it's important because I don't think every piece of magic should have great philosophical meaning, but I think every piece of magic should tell a story. And sometimes the story is just the theater of the props. I I don't think there's any bad stories. I don't think there's ones that are better than others uh, as far as style, right? I love people like Chris Hannibal is very, very good storyteller. And I love listening to him tell stories. I could not do that. That's not my style, right? But I can say this piece right here, when my daughter was XYZ, she pointed this out to me. And most of the time, my stories are mostly true, right? So uh, I'm good with doing the, the telling those types of things. I'm not good at telling intricate stories. But right. I just believe in premise, man. I, I think... I love when people come to Slight Club and they say, I have no idea what the effect's going to look like. I don't know what the the entire story is about. But I have this premise where what if I got up every day and out of habit, I put a random playing card without looking at it in my wallet. And I do it every day just to see what would happen. That's an interesting premise, right? So uh, I love when people come with that. Then we can really work with it. Sure, sure. Let's talk about the convention you organize on the East Coast, Tricks. Um, why, why did you start that? Uh, I started it because I wanted to do what Fullest does, which is expose great close-up and parlor magic. If we're honest, close-up magic at conventions or parlor. Um, I wanted to expose great magicians from around the world to regular people. All right. So I created this excuse. Right. I have this party for my friends where we get together and there's lectures and we do a lot of sessioning, but we cap it off with a close up show where we bring about 65 lay people in and they sit on the first three rows. And it lets us it it solves a lot of problems that I think magic conventions have. Right. One magicians audiences. Right. It solves that. It also I make it clear. I want these pros Don't do any of your magician stuff. Don't do your convention stuff. Do the stuff you do for real people. So now we get to see them in a great atmosphere, right? We've got to have a lot of great times together. We get to learn from the best. Like like this year, we have Wayne Halchin and Christian England. We have Mario Lopez, right? We have these lady we're going to see the best close-up magicians in the world. And it's that way every year. So that's the reason I do it, which I think is what Fool Us does too. Lead people to great, great magicians that they never would have heard of. You've been an underground legend whether you believe it or not for years and now you've gone and released a massive book on your magic the cat is out of the bag scott why did you write the book 
Andy is persuasive. <laughs> uh, so uh, the truth is, can I talk about my family a little bit? Uh, so I'm getting older. I had always published and believed in publishing in the small magic publications. I put a lot of things in Trapdoor. I had things in Jen. I, I, I'm a, I believe in that. I, I wish there was more of those. I think there's. Uh, it was a great creative outlet for me. Um, but I have a daughter who's 26. I have a son who's 13, and he's on the autism spectrum. And uh, I have a great wife, but we're getting older. They don't really know, is dad really any good at magic or not, <laughs> right? What, what do people think of? They don't know. Sure. So really the book is so when I'm gone, there's something left behind. I, I, I know that sounds silly, but that's the reason I agreed to do it. Um, yeah. What can you, what can you tell us about the contents of the book? Uh, so we'll do the technical stuff first. It is, uh, there's 47 routines. My wife's a photographer and she did all the photography. There's, uh, we had some help from, from Mark from, uh, VI at one point to, to do a few of them, but, um, there's 470 color photographs. It's the Dimensions of the uh, Bloomberg book, right. right? So that that oversized square book, I think it's one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen. But I'm probably a little biased. The material is seventy uh, percent cards, eighty thirty uh, percent coins. Um, it is a sleight of hand magic book. Make no mistake, this is old style. Yes, it's okay to do slights when they are required type book. Uh, there's there are self-working things because I gave a lot of things to Steve Beam for his semi-automatic uh, series. So there's a few of those things that I still do in there. But it is a sleight of hand book. I And uh, if you like doing sleight of hand, and I think most of the things are structured in a way where it hides the fact that you're doing difficult things, it, but it does require practice, which is what I like. I, I enjoy the a long time practicing, sometimes more than performing, right? So um, that's kind of the book. What are a couple of your favorite routines in the book? So the ones I do most often are Queen Thing. Uh, which um, Vanishing Ink also has a download on. So you can go and see the full performance on the download on Vanishing Ink's website. It's a cards to pocket routine, which uh, is an intermediate level, uh, great introduction to palming. Everything's covered really well. A trick called Loose Change, which is a two-coin transposition using two two pieces of pocket change. In the U.S., it's a quarter and a penny. Uh, And it looks like Steve Duchek's visual transposition, but there's no gimmicks. Uh, differences, which we mentioned a few times, uh, just because I do that for magicians a lot because the structure is something where they go, oh, that's really clever, right? You know, I don't do it as much, but I hope someone picks it up and plays with the ideas I have behind uh, the imp- an impromptu brainwave or invisible deck. Yeah, a lot of people have played with it through the years, but I, I want to see what that new generation looks at because it started with Alan Ackerman's routine, which is is great. There was pieces in it for me, didn't fit. And I solved what I thought. So both of our versions used the half pass. <laughs> okay. Uh, I had to get rid of uh, that to me happened at the wrong time. So I figured out a way to get rid of the half pass and substitute for more subtle motions that fit within the performing of the trick. 
So I would. I want to see what people do with it. So we've run out of time, Scott. So we're going to end with four quick fire questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Favorite pizza topping? Okay, I'm going to make people in the U.S. mad. Uh, ham and pineapple. Favorite movie? I can't give you one. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Princess Bride in a movie called Billy Jack. Your uh, favorite person that makes music, composer, band, whatever. I grew up on country music, so it's a person named George Strait. And finally, who would you rather fight, one massive Andy or a hundred tiny Joshuas? Definitely the Joshuas, because I need Andy around in case I ever decide to do another book. Very sensible thinking, Mr. Robinson. Thank you so much for your time. That has been an absolute pleasure. Do you do you do any social media-y stuff that people could follow you on? I am on Facebook, of course. I'm on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook is easy to find. Scott Robinson, type in magic, you'll find me. We have a page up there for the Tricks Convention as well. So tricksconvention.com. Uh, all my contact information, all the links to the uh, social media pages are on there. Perfect. I'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Scott, thank, thank you, you very much indeed. I really appreciate it. Thank your time. you, Daniel.